project where we talk about femininity, masculinity, and their social, economic, and political significance. I'm Gwen. And I'm Niles. Um, and today we actually have a guest on our podcast, one of our Capstone classmates, Eleanor, who's doing her project on whiteness and racism. Can you tell us a little more about your, your project, Eleanor? Yeah, so for my Capstone project, um, I started a anti-racism affinity group for the white students at the Harley schools because we are in a predominantly white school and I thought it was really important for us to talk about racism too to see what we can do as white people um, to combat racism. Can you explain a little more what an affinity group is? Yeah, so um, an affinity group is a group of people who usually have a shared interest um, and they meet to talk about that interest Mm -hmm. um and to usually they have a goal and um to do something based around that interest that's really cool that sounds Mm -hmm. like a great project and now eleanor let me just ask you um so a white affinity group that may set some people off or ask some questions so can you kind of just explain what the purpose of that is so um, when a lot of people hear white affinity group, they're like, wait, what? Is that like a white supremacist group? Like, what is that? Why are all the white kids meeting together and stuff? Like, why can't um, people of color be there too? And um, uh, I was reading um, an article, and in the article, the author compared um, putting white people and people of color in a group together to talk about race um, as putting pre-calculus level math students in a, like, AP calculus course, Mm. um, because, uh, usually people of color have to, are kind of forced to talk about race a lot earlier than white people are, and a lot of times white people forget that it is a race, um, a racial identity, and white people do have the advantage in society because, um, racism is also systemic, and, um, white people have the advantage there, um, often called like white privilege, and so it's important for white people to talk about what they can do to use, how they can use their advantage in a good way, and how to be, start thinking anti-racistly, and um, not, and and thinking about how they can stop like perpetuating racism in the systems, and mm-hmm. to do that they have to self-reflect, and it's a lot easier when everyone um, is like at the same level. And I would just like to make a little shameless plug for Eleanor's groups because I am a white person, so I've, Niles hasn't been to them because obviously he doesn't need to be. He knows a lot more about <laughs> race than I do. Um, but I've been to some of her groups and I, they've, I've learned a lot and I think that they're a really good idea. And she's doing a great job. Thanks. And that's why we asked her here because she, since her project, since our projects are now is about race and masculinity, and mine is kind of about femininity and like the crossovers of race, including so like how black women experience womanhood versus white women or Asian women or Latino women. Um, but Eleanor's is specifically about kind of talking about race, so that's why we wanted to have her here for our podcast 
for this episode where we are talking about race. Yes. Does anyone have anything to dive right into? If not, I have something. You start. Okay, so <laughs> I watched this video um, for my project that I thought it would be good to talk about in the podcast, and it's called Barack versus Curtis. And Barack refers to Barack Obama, former president, and Curtis refers to 50 Cent, because that's his, his real right. name. And so I just talked about the like black masculinity and the differences between for the Barack's version of black masculinity and Curtis's version of black masculinity. And if you don't know who 50 Cent is, um, 50 Cent is a rapper, and the way he portrays himself as a rapper, at least especially uh, at the beginning of his career, is like, like you know, like a gangster, kind of like hard, hardcore kind of dude, like surrounded by ladies kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's completely different from Obama's uh, portrayal of masculinity. It's more, um, it's like more of a professional type of, of masculinity and it's like a intellectual kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Not again, not dismissing him, but that's just what they portray. And so they were in the the show. They were saying how all black men have a bit of both in them, mm-hmm. and you just kind of you can't just assume that black people are like fifty cent, because a lot of people will automatically think that and not think that you know. Black people have, or black men have emotions, or are able to be intellectual. It's just like gangster, guns, violence, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah, I have noticed, um, like, with learning a lot about, um, like, how white people act when talking about racism and stuff. I've learned a lot that um, white people have a stereotype for black people, and I think um, you'd probably agree with me on this, that a lot of people think that black men especially are like super violent, Mm -hmm. or they grew up poor and like lived on the streets, and um, that like when we talk in our group about, you know, things that we can do, people are like, oh yeah, like offer more scholarships Mm -hmm. to our school, but like not all black people are like super poor and then some people are like um or I I haven't heard it like this year but I've heard it in the past like um just like kind of the aggression thing and like the violent thing like thinking super masculine but then I think if you think of I mean I think it's in general but if you think of um like black men who aren't like that then Mm -hmm. people will go to like the other extreme and it's like oh they're like Broadway performers and they're like gay or whatever it's not like like a stereotypical normal like person who just is like a human being goes to like a a boring office job and then comes home type thing so that's something I've noticed which I thought was kind of interesting that is interesting that you kind of you pointed out the two different extremes with um, black men because either you have to be like this aggressive gangster or you have to be a gay Broadway star instead of just in the middle, like you were saying. So, and I think that's got to do with 
the lack of understanding that people have for black people and black men and how that they assume they have to be one or the other. They can't just be, they're not viewed as like just normal people. They have to have these stereotypes placed on them. Yeah, and it's an important thing that Eleanor and you both brought up, like the spectrum or diversity within black people, because a lot of times people just assume what they see on TV is what they what it is in real life, and that's not the case. And it's just like white people can be diverse in all types of ways. Like, you don't think, there's not like one white person and everyone, you know what I mean? Like, there's, white people can be whatever they want to yeah. be, and they're still you know, validated for that. But it's the same thing for every other race and, and for black people as well, that you're gonna find all kinds of black people. You're gonna find black people that like anime. You're gonna find black people who like playing basketball. You're gonna like black people who like listening to Beethoven. Mm-hmm. It's all there, you know. Um, I, I, yeah, I definitely agree with you. And I also think like it does go across like all races, but I feel like white people are still kind of like trying to put them in a group or put like people of color in a group even though I know it happens with like white people too in some ways like oh if you're like super not as much so it's more like there are people put you know white people put white people in groups too but it's Mm -hmm. not the same thing and I feel like white people are like trying to put I I don't want to like generalize all white people but Mm -hmm. I feel like it's like white people need feel like they need to put them in a group because otherwise they like just don't get that it doesn't have to be like that because like we don't talk about racism that much Mm -hmm. in school and we don't do it in classes as like part of the curriculum so people don't understand the history behind it and stuff so it's then it just makes it more confusing um but just kind of i think going into that a little bit that when people i guess in general put other people in the groups because some black people put black people into groups it's not like Mm -hmm. just a white thing but when you do that you know some people feel the need to conform to in a sense pass in order to uh go up the ranks or do what they need to do instead of being who they are and doing whatever it is that they want to do and i have one of the terms, I guess, that I want to bring up is called passing. And when I first, like, I've already heard about passing before, but usually that's, like, a really light-skinned black person that, like, passes as white. But the actual definition of passing I have here, and it says, passing is when a person assumes the identity and specific ben- benefits of being the other within a particular context. So reading that, it's like, oh, it's not just a light-skinned black person or a mixed black person passing as white that can be included for characteristics and other things so when people put others into categories it's like they feel they need to do things in order to pass in order to fit in in order to not be seen as black or to be seen as you know other so they can go with the other does that make sense mm-hmm. That actually reminds me of something I learned about in my anthropology class when we, were, we talked about code switching because we were talking about um, black English versus like standard white English, which 
because everyone's when people think about stereotypical black people and they have a there's a certain vernacular and people associate it with just being like oh it's uneducated it's just bad grammar and what i learned in my class is that it's not there are for a language there to be a true language there have to be rules and stuff um and grammatical rules that people follow and if you study black english there is and people just associate it with bad grammar and bad English, um, but standard English is standard white English, and it's what white people decided was proper English. There's no actual, there's no real basis to that claim. Um, but we talked about code switching, how black people, when they talk with their, when they're in their own community, they'll use black English, but then they'll code switch back if they can. Um, when they're around white people to using standard white English. And I just thought, I thought that was interesting. That is interesting. I also, that kind of reminds me that, like, I feel like there are also a lot of, like, white people who might be still figuring out their, like, racial identity because um, there are, like, six stages to it and you can go through it, and, um, go through, like, them at any time. And you can jump back and forth. But um, I feel like, there's like one stage where people um, just want to be friends with black people because they feel like they need to have their approval. And so sometimes um, like those white people will like talk like stereotypically black or the black English and then also will just like try to act stereotypically black but only around black people. Mm. and. Um, like, I don't know, I was wondering, like, do you guys notice that a lot, like, at Harley even, or do you feel like that's just something you hear about? Um, I can say from experience, there's definitely people that do that. Um, it's kind of funny, <laughs> at least to me, just because, like, when I pick it up, I'm kind of like, what are you doing? Because, like, you, I don't, wouldn't want anyone to try to speak a specific way or change how they are in order to fit in or try to like be friends with me um, the great thing about people is that everyone is so unique and so different and they have so many great qualities to bring to the world and I wouldn't want you to try to be like someone else when you can just be yourself and doing like talking in a specific way to try to um, hang out with me or be friends with me like that's just a turn off that's that's not in a an attractive quality and it's kind of diminishing who you are as a person I actually think that I've been guilty of this beforehand not consciously like I don't consciously walk up to my black friends and start acting black <laughs> but um I think especially when I was young, because at our school, it's predominantly white people, mm -hmm. so I tend to be in a group of people, even if it is racially diverse, it's the majority white, but in a few cases where I have been the only white person in a group of people, I think that I've probably started, not full out, like I don't think I've ever gone like crazy, but I hope not, but I think that that's something, because you want to fit in, I think that's just normal thing but like you were saying I think that's normal thing I'm not even saying just with um, white people in the black community I think it's with a lot of when you're in a group that you're not generally 
a part of. Because um, I'm remembering, like, middle school me. Because, for example, um, with me and my white friends, we don't usually, like, do handshakes and stuff like that. That's not, but that's generally, like, in my experience with my black friends, that's a normal thing to do. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay, elaborate. Um, but, like, in the greeting and stuff like that, and that's, and I remember watching a video with a black comedian, I can't remember who it was, but they brought up two white guys, and they told them to introduce themselves, and they shook hands, and then they brought up two black guys, and the black guys were much friendlier to each other, and they, like, they grabbed each other's hands and then, like, did a half. Slap up. Yes. Is that what it's called? Yeah. There, what, can you repeat that? Slap up. Slap up. There you go. Um, yeah, I think that's. The most stereotypical. Like, the stereotypical things. And I think I've caught myself. I'm like, what are you doing? Stop! <laughs> um, and I think um, it's one thing if, like, you know when you're around someone a lot and then you kind of just pick up things their mannerisms? That, they do, that, to me, is different than you consciously making an effort to change your speech, change how you act, change whatever, just when I'm around or just when other black Maybe that's around. what I was doing then. And because some people... Some people, like, I know that if I'm around you a lot, you might pick up some of what I'm saying. And I can, I mean, I can tell the difference whether you're just saying it because you're around me or if you, because it sounds unnatural when you force it. So, kind of changing gears to what I was saying and going all the way back to one of the beginning things that Eleanor said about how white people sometimes will assume that, oh, a black person is only this type of way and this type of thing. I think within the black community, sometimes you can get that kind of idea as well. And especially, like, I'll see things like with struggle. Like, if you didn't struggle in a specific way, sometimes you're not, you're just kind of like, oh, like, that's not struggle, or you had it made, like, um, so you have no reason to complain, you have no reason to do this, that, and the third, or you're just less black because you didn't do X, Y, Z. Like, I've heard that. And these are black people saying this to other black people or white people saying this to black people? Black people saying this to other black people. And I've heard things like that. And I was talking to my dad about this, and he basically said that a lot of that is just noise and that everyone has their own story Everyone has their own, like, yeah, story to who they are. And for someone to go and say, like, within the black community, someone goes to say, oh, like, you're not black because you didn't go to this school or you you were raised here in this suburb. That's not true because you can't take away this color. You can't. So no matter what, you're, you're still going to be black. You're like, black, you're black. That's right. And there's no... Right way to be right black? Right way to be black. Right way to be black. Yeah. I have a question for you. Um, do you think that, like, the fact that white people assume that most black people, like, grew up poor and, like, struggled to get where they are and, like, lived on the streets at some point or had one parent or something like that, do you think the fact that a lot of white people assume that that's the case, is with mo- the case with most black people, do you think that, like, perpetuates this, like idea or do you think it's like completely separated and it's just like like this is a thing that in the black community that happens and it doesn't really like what, what do you mean I'm not like understanding. um the fact that 
like white people a lot of times automatically assume that like this black person probably you know was really poor but it's amazing that now they're like you know doing super well or something do you think that idea that what like the fact that a lot of white people think that makes this that worse in the black community or do you think it's like completely separate do you think that the black people who say that you're not black enough because you didn't go through this struggle do you think that's completely different or do you think the fact that white people also think that makes it worse I think that the two go hand in hand and especially because so if white people believe in the stereotypes that um, of, of, of black people or that they were poor or whatever it is and white people are the ones that have control majority control over the media and things that we see and all that so if they believe those stereotypes and then represent those on TV or computers or whatever it is seeing that as a black kid, you may just be like, is this, yeah. yes, is this what, is this how, is, is this it, is that how we are? And then you start to believe it for yourself. Mm -hmm. So I think the two go together. That actually, this reminds me of something another Capstone student was talking about, Jalen, and she runs BLSU with you right now. Yes. Um, and can you wait real quick, BLSU stands for? Black Latino Student and so for our capstones, we all have to, we have our own websites and we write blog posts and stuff. And I remember, and for our homework, we, have, we had to look at other students' blogs. And I remember Jalen was talking about in hers the difference between self-expression and not wanting to feed into stereotypes as a black person. So the stereotype that all black people like rap. It's like, well, do she was talking about, can I, am I, by liking rap, am I feeding into stereotypes and kind of like mm -hmm. the oppression of her community? Or is it just, can I, why can't I just like rap but, and have it nothing to do with this whole big overshadowing, looming racism and just have it be who I am as an individual? I understand that. I, I had like, I guess something similar happened to me, but it was, you know how like the stereotype that all black people like fried chicken? <laughs> and so I, I did not want to fit into the stereotype, but I still wanted to be black, obviously. Can't change that. But like, um, I just was like, I just wanted to be that person. I didn't like, like chicken, <laughs> but you know, was black. And I don't know why I did that. Like it just, maybe it was like me just trying to rebel against that stereotype or something to claim some sort of sense of identity with outside of stereotypes. But I like fried chicken. It's good, especially when you put hot sauce on it. I like that. <laughs> I like fried chicken. And it's good. Like, I don't think that should be for a specific race. But, you know, I think being able to like what you like and do what you want to do despite the stereotypes because, yeah. You do you. Yes. Um, this is like might be kind of off topic, but didn't you like it's not kind of why you started going to Starbucks too because you you were like oh Starbucks is for, like you know it's stereotypically like white basic people go to Starbucks or whatever so isn't didn't you say you well, wanted yeah, to go to Starbucks told because me, of that someone told me that black people don't go to Starbucks so I told my dad and he took me the next day <laughs> um, I love that story. so that's a very good story yeah again me trying to you know 
defy stereotypes. There you go. So. I think yeah. that's when we're talking about stereotypes. That's a really um, big reason why representation in media is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you like, we were talking about internalized oppression. So when these little black kids see them, see people that look like them um, in stereotypes or negative lights, they internalize it. And I remember there was this study done. I, it was, I think it was late 20th century. It was the dolls. It was the dolls. Okay. They did it twice. Okay. Oprah did it once, I think. She had it on her show. But they did it before her. But I think I know what you're talking about. I'm yeah. sorry. Go ahead. Um, but anyway, so they had these they had these little black children, and they were, they, they were like four and five-year-olds. And they had, they put a white doll in front of the black kid and a black doll in front of the black kid. And they asked them, which one's the good doll? Which one's the pretty doll? And the black children always pointed to the white doll. And they said, okay, which one's the bad doll? And the, these little five-year-old black children pointed at the one that looked them, like themselves, which is internalized oppression. Which I just, you watch the video and it's just heartbreaking because there are mm-hmm. these little kids and, uh, and they already have this self-hate inside them because of what they see in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's why representation is so important and accurate representation that's not just... For example, like you talk like a black person on a TV show can play any character. They don't. It ha- doesn't have to be written as a black character. Right. Or it's this black sidekick. Yes, it can just be. And I remember there's this the TV show This Is Us, mm-hmm. and I one of the things that I liked about it was there's this black man in the show. His name is Randall, and he's adopted, um, and he from a, in a white family, but he has a black wife and he has black children. And there's nothing, he's a black man that's just living his life. And he had an office job. He suffered with anxiety, which is also a big, like, that people have a lot of negative stereotypes about mental health in the black community. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that was, and that was one of the first times I had seen in a mainstream media a black person just being a person, just represented as a person and not having these stereotypes forced on them. And obviously everything should have them okay. um really quick i just want to switch gears because i know we talk a lot about you know african americans but um in doing my research on masculinity another thing that came up that i didn't know much about and i wanted to learn more about is the emasculation of asian mm. asian men and um the history with that and uh, I talked a little bit with Jossie about this on um, different occasions, but we were talking about how in like in dating life, Asian men are like the least picked or like the least um, like picked on the online dating site or least wanted, I guess. Mm-hmm. Most and likes, most likes left. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and. Um, I don't know, like, there's, so, there's like, stereotypes about them that they, that they're not, you know, mm. masculine men, that they do feminine things, or other, other stereotypes, and it's just, it's another if example. you, yeah, looking into the history of that, it's just, like, wow, like, for example, um, I was reading something, and, um, this is not fact, I don't know for sure, but I'm, I'm pretty positive that back then, they would prevent Asian men from working like the typical factory jobs. Mm. So they had to go find other jobs 
that might have been more typically feminine, like laundry, mm. stuff like that. And so, and. Oh, like working oh, salons. Oh, working in salons, okay. But that kind of stuff, because they were forced to, like, they're not working factories, they had to find these other jobs to provide for their family, but in doing so, a stereotype was created. Yeah. And, and, it, and that was a while ago, and we're still, it's still reflected in mm-hmm. dating life, for example. I remember when Crazy Rich Asians came out, like, a year and a half ago, it was this big, it was this huge deal, because Asian actors were finally represented as normal people, and, like, Asian actors were, an Asian man was the main he was a main male character right. and he was a romantic interest and that was this huge deal as it should be because that never happened before mm-hmm. and also kind of with media and stuff um my cousin really loves this k-pop group i think it's called like yes yeah bts i like oh. bts too um, and their their look like some of them like appear more feminine and stuff too but they still have like well, I honestly, I haven't seen them very much. She showed me, like, one video. But, like, while they were still, some of them still, like, came across as a little bit more, like... Feminine features. Feminine, like, with, and they kind of accentuated those feminine mm-hmm. features. They still kind of came across as masculine in a way. So, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's like, interesting how they're, like, like portraying themselves, but it's, like, in the media. I don't know. I don't know. No, I, I know what I you're talking about. about them, but... Because they're still, like... BTS is very much still a boy band because mm-hmm. it's like I think it's seven, seven. I if I'm wrong, I'm very sorry. I think, I think it's there are a lot um, in the group, but there's still objects of desire, and um, like boy bands tend to be, and they're like these. All there's many many young female fans, and I think what they're doing is pretty impressive because they're breaking down these stereotypes. And they're breaking records. Yeah, they're just they they're are record. killing the game. Back to, um, I mean, it's talking about like the dating thing, but um, when Gwen was talking about This Is Us, um, it kind of reminded me of a conversation I had with Niles yesterday. And I watch a TV show called Good Trouble. It's kind of a spinoff of <gasps> so the show, <laughs> The Fosters. Um, I think it's on Freeform or something. Or it's yeah. And um, one of the main female characters is a black woman, and um, there was like this storyline with um a black man that she was like that was pursuing her and she said something like oh i bet all the women on your tinder feed are white or light-skinned and then he's like oh no and then they went through his tinder together and it was true and i know there was like i think there was like another storyline with um a black man who was a young black man who was shot by the police and he made like a video or something talking about like white women and how like they were Better than black. better than black women and stuff. So there was like they were playing with this uh, this idea that like black men want to date white women mm-hmm. or light skinned women. And we were kind of talking about that yesterday. And like um, Jossie was talking about how it sort of not even the fact about like just dating white women because you like the person, but sometimes there's this idea of like winning it. From the the Let's white man, the, uh, or something? yeah. yeah. Oh. So I don't know. I thought that was like interesting to think about. It's something I hadn't quite thought about before. But did you want to talk more about that? Because you were talking about oh. when it's reversed, like 
black women with white men and stuff. Well, you brought that up. You were saying like, well, we were all talking about how it's more accepted to see a black man and a white woman than mm-hmm. for a black woman and a white man, and that kind of plays into sexism because it mm-hmm. seems like black women are portraying their race by dating a white man. But it's like, why is that not the same the mm-hmm. other way? And so that's something you brought up, which was also a good point. Um, but you brought, you, know, you made me think of this when you were talking about this, some video with the white woman talking about how they were better than black women. And I saw a video on Instagram, and I think it was from some TV show, and there's this black woman with a child, and like a baby, and she, the baby, she was light, the black woman was kind of light, but the baby looked like it was light as well. And so she was sitting there with the baby, and then this white lady was like, trying to manage um, how she took care of her child, mm-hmm. and so, the white woman was telling the light-skinned black woman how to take care of her own baby? Yes. What in the orange? She was like, oh, you need to put a blanket on him. He's cold. Oh, you need to give him Tylenol when he gets home so he doesn't get sick. Like, trying to micromanage, I guess. And the black woman was like, no, that's not how Tylenol works. <laughs> no, like, I know how to take care of my child. Um, and then the white lady was kind of like, well, you have, must not have been a nanny for very long. So assuming that the child wasn't even hers. <gasps> and then... So Later on, she, the black woman tried to uh, remove herself from the situation. The situation. The white woman was like talking to the people around. She's like, "Do you know her? Does anyone know her?" And then she called the police and was saying, mm-hmm. "I don't know. This, this random black lady just stole these kids. She found them at Whole Foods." <laughs> and um, blah, blah. and then she was like, "I don't know. I don't want to be racist, but um, there, racist, she mentioned something I... about drugs." And da, da, da. Tylenol? Well, no, like, she added. She, I remember she you showed added me this that. Video. She added oh something God. completely out of the blue that they hadn't talked about. They didn't talk about drugs like that. that. She oh. brought up Tylenol. Um, I know, but I'm saying, like, is that her excuse? Oh. Is she saying, oh, she's talking about Tylenol? Oh, I, my. It was. And then the police were there, and the poor, like, black woman was about to get in her car with her own baby. And the white lady was trying to take the baby from her. Yeah. Being like, this is not your child. Da, 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 da. What is wrong also, with people? Also, who steals a baby from Whole Foods? Yeah, that is <laughs> Who leaves a baby? But, yeah, that's that's not something that's... to joke about. Because that's, like, a, a thing, serious thing that happens, and that's oh absolutely ridiculous. Like, mm-hmm. the fact that that white woman... Like, I know what happens with women in general, like, trying to get into other women's business when taking care of their kids. Like, yeah. they think they can just offer mothering advice. But, like... The that is like whole new crosses the line like way too far. Like your kid is not necessarily going to look just like you. Not gonna have the exact same skin color as you and everything. And so, and just the assuming that like she stole the kid and that she was a nanny is like. And then like the nine one one call made me think of all the other incidents of those videos Mm -hmm. where the white ladies were calling the police over like nothing. Yeah. And. It just show, to me it seems like they they tap into their victim role when they're calling the police mm-hmm. and then making it seem like oh I'm uncomfortable and da, 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 mm-hmm. and like using the stereotype that they have on them to to their advantage in a way yeah. and making yeah. it seem like whoever else is like the villain and then the police end up showing up anyway I mean part of that's their job that but their like job. she. Right. The fact that it had to start. The fact that she had even called that, and the fact that you didn't even take into consideration when you called police on, 
like black people, you're endangering our lives. Yeah, yeah. So you're endangering someone's whole life because you feel slightly uncomfortable. For no good reason. <laughs> yeah, and half of the problem is, like, a lot of these white people, I feel like, don't realize what they're doing. That, like, they don't realize what they're doing. Um, and that's because, like, they're, they're, like, they're perpetuating racism and they don't realize that they're being racist, but they... they are might be feeling uncomfortable and some of them probably aren't might not be feeling uncomfortable but they like don't trust the black person but they don't understand why they don't trust the black person it's Mm. just like ingrained in them and stuff and so like part of the problem is people aren't like being forced to think about these things like the white people aren't being forced to think about these things um and like sometimes outsiders notice like why would like she think that like that's so weird but people like who aren't being forced to think about that won't like there's nothing forcing them to so why would they? should they why would they suddenly become aware unless someone like tells them or unless they're learning it in school and stuff so that's why like it's so important for like white people to do the work too because you can't just leave it up to people of color and I think that's why your groups your white affinity group is so important because a lot of times when white people talk about race um, they either feel like they have to talk about it when there's a person of color around, and then mm-hmm. also that person of color, I feel like become tends to become, like, okay. is forced to become like the educator and something like that instead of just for all their questions. Yeah, which just, like that's what they're good for. That's it. Yeah, and so I think they're because of that, and also white people should talk about it because they also I know um, white people that are more aware of race get really stressed out talking about race with people of color because they don't want to say something racist. But you, when you're learning, you're going to make mistakes, and so it's better maybe at first, initially, to talk with just white people because mm-hmm. then you'll get all the kind of the really uncomfortable stuff out and then be able to collect your thoughts, and then you can go and maybe talk to other people of color and be more understanding and put them in a less uncomfortable position. Right. right. Um, it's and well, so... Just to recap everything that we have shared today, um, we talked about um, white affinity groups and the importance of white education on race and their own race and how to be allies to people of color. And we talked about, you know, we had given a lot of examples as to um, oppression from whites in the black community, from blacks in the black community, and there's just, you know, a lot there's a lot there and there's a lot of things that there's a lot of um issues that are still going on but there's a lot of steps to towards bettering the issues that are going on and to just leave with some words of encouragement i think mm-hmm. that you know be who you are despite whatever when anyone else says around you that's noise <laughs> if you like like watermelon <laughs> eat watermelon okay if you like listening to Beethoven, listen to Beethoven, be proud of who you are, and, you know, smile. Awesome. I also, I um, wanted to, one quick thing, because since we are doing this, especially for our school, which is predominantly white, Eleanor, since you're the leader of the white affinity group, and I know you read some books, what are, can you, I'm put, kind of putting you on the spot, but there, are there like a few things you could say that, of books or websites to go to that white people could kind of just start their own race education? Yeah, I would highly, highly, highly suggest the book by Dr. Beverly Daniel Tatum. 
Um, it's called Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting in the Cafeteria Together? Really long title, but it's a really good book. She explains everything so clearly, like you're bound to understand what she's saying. And sometimes you might have to read it like a few times because you're like, wow, that was so much information. But she's so good at explaining it. And then if you search up um, anything by um, Dr. Ali something, if you search up um, the like the importance of white affinity groups, University of Pennsylvania, she'll come up. Um, she'll come up in the there will be an article about the white affinity group at you know UPenn, um, and then she uh, Ali Michaels, Dr. Ali Michaels. She wrote. She's a I think she's a white woman. Don't quote me on that. I'm not sure, but she I'm pretty sure she is, um, and she's wrote a lot about the importance of white people working against racism. So anything with that. And then if you want to keep this affinity group going, I'm graduating. So you can come talk to me or Jossie because, um, yeah. Obviously the importance doesn't stop when you graduate. Yeah. And like, like you were saying a little earlier, obviously there are many different ways of oppression just versus white people oppressing black people, many different professions of other people of color, but that's, not one episode's worth of content. Um, so we just wanted to make that clear. Yes. So thank you, Eleanor. Stop. Yes, thank, thank you so you much, Eleanor. Thank you, and Gwen, for doing this amazing <laughs> podcast. And thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next time. Next time, we're going to be hopefully talking about masculinity and femininity um, relating to the LGBTQ plus community. Thank you so much for listening.